0: Hey, this is Nathan Dawkin from Fantrax HQ, as well as the Nasty Cast and Fantrax Dynasty Baseball Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers,
1: and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's
0: generation. Episode 112 Casino Royale Movie Review. <laughs> I'm Chris McBrien, along with caveman Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You'll find Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien and world.com is our website with all of our contact information. Derek, what's new in your world, my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, well, uh, I have had an opportunity over the
1: last couple of weeks to get caught up on some new television shows that have dropped on the podcast streaming services on uh, Amazon Prime. I got a chance to watch a series called The Boys. Have oh, you heard about this? Series? I've never even heard of it. What is it? OK, so it's a superhero series. But imagine if instead of reality TV shows about, you know, reality stars like we have now, you had reality shows that were about superheroes and that's how they made money. And so all of su- all of the superheroes were uh, employed by Media and television and marketing companies and their whole thing was celebrity like they were selling the celebrity of being a superhero as a brand And so that's sort of the premise where you set up where there's you know hundreds of superheroes in the world But they all work for corporations to make money They all have licensing deals and movie deals and they sell toys and they are popular on social media And they make millions if not billions of dollars doing a being superhero being the brand And uh, what you find out really quickly is that most of them are super jerks and it becomes this behind the scenes look at, you know, the scheming and manipulation that goes on uh, to to keep their brands fresh, even though some of these superheroes do some pretty bad things. And the story is told from a a group of uh, vigilantes called The Boys. It's sort of the colloquialism of the, the vigilante group that want to expose these superheroes who are, are held up as the greatest things ever and show the world that they do some pretty despicable things and people get hurt and people get killed along the way. And the media just covers it up because they want this brand to stay pure. And, uh, it's based on a, a comic book series that ran, Uh, I think it was from 2006 to 2012 it was like a finite series it ran about 75 issues so the series the comic book series itself is finished but there is a ton of material to draw from and the series is I believe eight episodes Uh, it is it's eight episodes and um, they were great fantastic they were it's on Amazon Prime high quality value uh, special effects uh, good uh, a lot of actors in it that you're sort of going to go oh I know that guy from somewhere oh I know that girl from somewhere. Uh, it, it was quite good. I, I would encourage you to check it out. It's not your typical superhero story. In fact, even if you don't really like superhero stories, this might be more up your alley because it really paints them in a very negative light.
0: And it's and only, and- only available on Amazon Prime? Like is it- Amazon Prime. Yeah. So Amazon, it's an Amazon Prime sort of original show? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, gotcha. Yep. And for anyone who is uh, in the Toronto
1: area, I believe some of the stars are going to be at Fan Expo here coming up in a few weeks at the end of August. So uh, the stars are making appearances. And, uh, yeah, it was quite good. Uh, I believe it has already been picked up for a second season. And, uh, yeah, it it was it was really,
0: really, really good. So I encourage you to check that out. Very cool. And speaking of Fan Expo, you know who else is going to be there this year? The Goonies. Oh yeah, right! A bunch of the actors from the Goonies are going to be there, so I'm all excited. I don't know if I'm going to make it down or not. I'm a little bit, a little bit busy that weekend, but I'm going to do my best to try and get down because my son, he's ten, and he just loves the Goonies. So, his chance to meet the the actors would be would be a highlight of his summer, I'm sure. You know, there you go. but we shall see. Um, anyway, uh, you nominated a movie for this week, so are y'all ready to get started? Absolutely. Here we go. Why didn't anyone tell me my was so big? Joke after joke after joke after joke. We ate found I bet she gives great helmets. Never watch that
1: part again. This is dumb. This is dumb. How many has we got on this ship, anyhow? Not nearly as bad as, say, something like Revenge of the Nerd.
0: Evil will always triumph over good because good is dumb. I don't think it's something I would want to watch over and over again. They don't make movies like this anymore, they just don't. Okay, so you came up with the 2006 film Casino Royale, and you nominated that. I went and watched it. I'd never seen it, and we're going to review it tonight. Uh, You want to start us off maybe just a little bit about why you picked this movie, why you felt it was important for me to watch, and uh, we'll take it from there. Sure.
1: So uh, James Bond is a franchise that has been around since the 60s, if I remember correctly. Uh, with started with dr. No Sean Connery, with E Uh the idea of james Bond is is a character that uh, lives on uh, and the franchise just keeps rebooting itself they they recast the role of James Bond and you know at its heart James Bond is a is a story about a spy who does the impossible he uh, you know he, he goes around the world and and stops crimes that would affect everybody obviously he's british uh, secret agent but i always like the fact that james bond is international he's not just this movie will take place in england and he will protect the the interests of england he travels around the world and you don't necessarily see that as much with big budget movies that are made in north america they tend to feature characters and stories that that take place locally um obviously shooting around the world becomes expensive so that's that's probably been a big part of why uh, other movies don't shoot as uh, in, in exotic locations like james bond does but uh, i've always i've always enjoyed james bond when uh, when i was younger i remember my my introduction to james bond was with roger moore as james bond um in movies like Octopus. i think octopussy was my first james bond movie i saw in the theater and when i started renting all the old james bond movies on video i started with the roger moore ones because that was the james bond that i knew uh, and then uh, went back to see the sean connery ones and then continued to follow through uh, as as Bond got recast, Timothy Dalton and um, Pierce Brosnan, and then eventually now it's uh, Daniel Craig. So in two thousand sorry, movies two thousand six. Yes, yeah. in two thousand and six, uh, the Bond franchise had um, I don't want to say died, let's say stalled. So you had Pierce Brosnan who had done four. Or five uh, uh, Bond movies. I mean, Goldeneye was was a fantastic sort of reboot with the new Bond, but then the the story started getting a little silly. They started getting a little over the top. Some of the casting decisions were very questionable, and and it, it, the the movies got goofy. He started using more and more special gadgets, which. In a time when cell phones are becoming a thing And the internet is coming online uh, You know, there's a desire To show that, oh, well, this James Bond Is on the cutting edge of technology And you give them all these, you know, gadgets That are way above and beyond It's not just a a watch with a little magnet Or a pen that can explode It's, you know, these crazy things a car that can go invisible And be driven with a remote control And you you start shaking your head going Ah, you know, James Bond You always have to suspend disbelief But they started getting really phony baloney And... Even though the the movies were doing well, I think that the fan base was starting to take a step back, and there was, a, you know, a, a pretty significant pause between Bond movies. And then you have something like Tom Cruise put out the Mission Impossible series, and you have a few of those, and they start doing well, and you start to to look at the the audience's appetite for. Uh, uh, another reboot of James Bond And they bring out Casino Royale And they decide to go back to basics They're like let's let's sort of wipe the slate clean we'll, we'll keep the Bond Story structure that you recognize That it's James Bond the secret agent And he works for M And they work for MI6 as the British intelligence And he's got a license to kill You know we're going to strip it down to just the very basics Of what you need to know about James Bond But they they made it Effectively they made it an origin story It's like here's James Bond In this first movie, literally in the opening scene, earning his license to kill. He's sort of being promoted to the double O status, and he's going on his first mission. He doesn't have the reputation uh, or the confidence of his peers that he's had in all the other movies. And that plays to the story. You you, along with – so you as the audience, along with the characters in the movie – are sort of seeing the wheels turn as as he's going about his special mission and accomplishing or not accomplishing what he needs to and you're seeing that he is a highly capable agent but you can tell that he's still somewhat of a rookie because he's he's making mistakes and it's almost like excuse me, it's almost like they're trying to humanize a character who, who has almost been superhuman up until this point and yeah, he does a lot of crazy things but um, they all are within the bounds of of what you believe a special agent could do if they had the right training and he's not loaded down with any gadgets or, or special gizmos it's it's literally just he has stuff that that we could have access to he's using his wits and his training and he's he's leaning on some of the resources and people that are at his disposal to to accomplish his special mission and and it worked the the casino royale was a highly successful, highly financially successful reboot of the James Bond series. You've got your new Bond, and uh, he's done a handful of movies since then, and I believe there's one more with Daniel Craig being shot as we speak. And, uh, you know, Bond's as big as he ever was, and Casino Royale was the the reintroduction to a whole new generation, uh, that here's James Bond, here's what he is, and uh, we hope you love him kind of thing. So that being said, I think the Casino Royale is is an important action movie for the 2000s it's uh you know in in a time where every movie is a marvel movie or a reboot of a disney cartoon you know here's here's again a character that you you think you know and they they've rebooted them in a way that they try and make them accessible uh uh, an accessible introduction to new a new fan base and and i think it worked really really well so with that chris i want to know What'd you
0: think? Well, we got lots to lots to get to for sure. Um, so you mentioned an interesting thing, like that there was a period of time there where there was not any James Bond movies coming out, and there was a bit of a void, you know, between um, Pierce Brosnan's last movie and then this one. And I personally think, you know, what they should have done, Hollywood should have done to fill that void, Remo Williams, the adventure continues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. That's what they should have done. It's you mentioned an interesting thing, and that is, it's it, this is a truth when it comes to James Bond movies, is that The James Bond, like the actor that plays James Bond, the one that you identify with is usually the one that you grew up with, you know, and that tends to be the case, I think, for a lot of people. Um, So we'll get to a bit more of that in a second. Um, So, okay, so let's just go pick apart the movie right from the beginning. So it opens up in black and white. Why did it open in black and white? Any idea? It threw me for a loop.
1: Um, I was reading something about that in the trivia and it was a, a stylistic choice by the director. It was like to make it uh, seem more like a film noir kind of thing. And it was uh, a, a way to d- to delineate at that time. He wasn't technically a double O agent yet. He's still sort of uh, earning his stripes, so to speak. And then when the opening credits begin, he makes his kill uh, like they talk about in the opening sequence. Oh, you need to make two kills to, to be promoted to double O status. And that's how that sequence ends with his, with his second kill. And then bang, the color comes on the opening credit sequence happens. Um, so I, I, that would be my
0: guess. Yeah. Well, I got to be honest. I haven't watched too many James Bond films since Roger Moore left the franchise, and by not too many, basically zero. <laughs> like, just I just haven't seen any. So I'm really glad. That's one thing with uh, doing this podcast is you definitely nominate lots of different movies for me to watch, which is great. Um, there. So the, you mentioned that opening scene. So so after there's it's like really ultra violent. I found like he, he suffocates the guy in the the sink in the bathroom, and then he turns and shoots a guy like point blank. And for me, that scene sort of sets the tone for the rest of the movie. It was really, really intense and violent, and 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 I was taken a bit aback by it, to be honest. Like, because to me, James Bond films aren't supposed to be ultra violent and dark. They're supposed to be full of action and fun, you know. Um, now it opens up like a traditional Bond film in the sense that there's that cold opening, right? Yeah. But you know the actual opening sequence. You know what I mean? Like the part where like there's like the gun barrel. And then James Bond walks into the frame and then shoots at the camera and then it turns red and then it moves around. Yes. That was that was different. Like they changed it up. So for me, between this ultra violent opening scene in the bathroom and then the different opening sequence, I knew this was going to be a different kind of James Bond film. And I was right. It, it was. And for me, and I'm probably going to take flack for this, but this is because I know the movie was really successful for me. Daniel Craig is not James Bond. I don't know if it's because I grew up with Roger Moore. I think it's more than that, because for me, James Bond, he should be like suave and good looking and dapper and charming. And Daniel Craig looks kind of mean and he kind of looks like the bad guy in this movie. Does this make any sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know. I know what you're saying. And that was definitely a criticism of the casting of Daniel Craig in the first place. A lot of people didn't (laughs) feel he was. The right choice for Bond for all the reasons you said. The other one you also hear is he's too short. I think he's five nine or five ten, and and the idea is you're supposed to be you know tall and and handsome and and dark complexion, dark hair. Like uh, I've been reading that one of the uh, one of the other actors that sort of made the final cut but didn't get the role was Henry Cavill, who has been Superman in the Justice League in the recent Superman movies, and who actually appeared in the latest Mission Impossible film, and apparently he was like right there they were like we want this guy and they felt that he he fit the bill he he sort of probably would have hit more of the notes you were just talking about he's taller he's good looking he you put him in a tuxedo you can believe like oh my god this guy is suave and sophisticated but they felt at the time he was too young and so they didn't cast him and they ended up going with Daniel Craig. But uh, no, I, I agree. I agree with what uh, <clears throat> excuse me, what you're talking about with with him as Bond. But let me just quickly go back to one other thing you said about the opening sequence with mm-hmm. you, where you see that this through the barrel, of the gun and then he turns and shoots. Yeah. Normally, when that happens in most other Bonds, there's a music cue. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's part of the James, we'll call it the James Bond music. And that didn't happen this time. And instead, it just went into the opening credits with the opening song. You always get an opening song around the movies. Um, And that, to me, was something that I noticed right away as a big fan of the James Bond franchise, is that um, just that instrumental music that's sort of like, oh, that's the James Bond theme. I'm watching the movie. I expected it at the beginning. It didn't happen. I expected it either during the opening credits or after. Didn't happen. And. It doesn't actually happen. You don't hear it until the very last shot of the movie. Yes. And and I felt that was, again, I felt that was significant in sort of setting this new brand, this new franchise of Bond is, yeah, we're going to go back to some of the things that you know James Bond's all about, but we're going to take a little time getting there. We want to make sure that we're all on board before we, you know, we start to hit those notes, literally hit those notes.
0: Like for me, even the animation in the opening sequence was Was dark and violent Like it's got diamonds From the cards Stabbing a guy And blood pouring out You mentioned the opening song The opening song Has always been A huge part Of a Bond film If you think of like All time high From Octopussy Or Nobody Does It Better nobody does it better for your eyes only for your eyes only live and let die even skyfall uh, by adele see i know a newer one so how about that yeah. um
1: but the and the, die another day from madonna was really good was too. huge too
0: right yeah. and the songs from that opening sequence like i say is a huge huge part of james bond films but what the hell was the song in this one it was awful
1: again i disagree i, I thought it was great yeah it, it made oh. the charts it was by chris cornell and uh I liked it. It was my my only complaint about the song was that uh, normally a Bond song, as part of the lyric, has the title of the movie, and this one did not. Um, which again, minor nitpick, yeah. but uh, but I was okay with it because I, I liked the song. I felt. Uh, I thought it was a good representation of music in, in that you know in that time, two thousand six. Like, here's an artist who who has some chops. That you're going to know, and he's playing in a style that was that was appropriate for that time frame. So, well, let's I know d- you're not really big on the music the kids listen to these days. <laughs> so maybe that's a part of why
0: you didn't <laughs> really dig it. That's a big part of it, I'm sure. So let's yeah. dig into the movie a bit, and we'll kind of go through it, like sure with some of the scenes, and we'll kind of you know pick it apart. Um, I think it opens up in Uganda. And this chase breaks out in the middle of like this mongoose and snake fight. And they run across all these girders and cranes and this like huge construction sites. And it's like they're going up high on these like girders and running across. And it just keeps going and going. Who knew that Uganda was such a hotbed of construction and infrastructure projects? Who knew? Like, I I was like, look at this. This This is amazing. But the guy that Bond is chasing, he does all these like jumps and like wire stunts. You know what I mean? Like he's flipping and bouncing from roof to roof, he even bounces down this elevator shaft and stuff like that. I, the question I have, it came out in 2006, right? But when's it supposed to take place? Is it supposed to take place in 2006?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: I mean, the Bond movies
1: usually do a good job of not explicitly indicating a day, time, and year. You're just supposed to think like they're a timeless sort of movie that could take place anytime, but there are some things uh in a number of scenes when he looks at security cameras and things like that you can see it has the date 2006 like it's, uh, although yeah although they don't actually say it right. so yeah it's supposed to be contemporary for when it was shot
0: you you mentioned that it's like an origin story or so that's such a millennial thing this whole concept of the yeah, origin story sure. so, so that's what this is this is supposed to be an origin story of how he got started
1: well, yeah, I mean, it, right at the beginning, they, they, you see them promoting him to the to 007, and in and, and the opening sequence, the guy even says that. He says, you know, you, you're still not even – you haven't reached that sort of pinnacle of the, of the spy program, and he's constantly getting in crap for doing things uh, outside of what he should be doing or, or that are getting him in trouble, Right. And like even at one point, uh, Judy Dench, the great Judy Dench, who plays M, who is his boss, she says, like, you should have shot yourself rather than be that rather than get caught. Like she's giving him crap because he's clearly lacking the experience uh, that that, you know, a more matured agent would have. And he's he's being impulsive and he's more seems more concerned with getting the job done than sort of the collateral damage that's going on around him. Uh, although, as the story progresses, you realize it's it's very much an ends justify the means sort of decision making process. Mm-hmm. But there, you know, there's a lot of explosions and, and literal collateral damage that happens due to some of his, uh, we'll say, poor decision making.
0: Right. You mentioned Judy Dench and she's amazing. But yeah, because she says at one point at the near the beginning, she's like, God, I missed the Cold War. And it just got me a little confused as to the timelines. That was all. Um, just back to Daniel Craig for a second. Like I said, he doesn't. He doesn't look like James Bond and he doesn't act like James Bond. I think he needs to go back to playing a stormtrooper. <laughs> <laughs> so a- anyway, um, the movie, as it continues from that scene, it, it does follow that typical Bond movie formula you mentioned earlier by, by like globetrotting, right? Yes. Which is one of the cool yes. things about Bond films. Like I've always liked, like it just goes all over the place. So then the movie shifts down to NASA in the Bahamas. And the, the thing that struck me the most was like he was driving a Ford and I was like, he's supposed to be driving an Austin Martin. Isn't he like? I don't know that part. Well, cut off. again, that's that's the origin story. In, in oh, right. today's
1: day and age, there's there's so much money to be made by product placement that I don't think you can uh, you can blame the the producers for shifting it around. But later in the movie, he does get the Austin Martin, and they they work that into the story of how he acquires it. So again, a lot of wink, wink, nudge, nudge to people who are Bond fans who know how the character has progressed through previous iterations of the movies. uh, And that was deliberate. There's, if you're a big James Bond fan, there are a lot of Easter eggs in this one.
0: I will say this, uh, K-Man, you definitely make me watch a lot of different types of movies because remember when Yancey was on the show and he would make me watch dystopian future movie after dystopian future movie and you really mix it up i gotta give you that that's good well um, hey, I i can have you watch dystopian future movies <laughs> I, I love lot. them whenever Yancey <laughs> gave you
1: one of those i thought oh man i'm gonna love this movie or or it was like snowpiercer i had seen snowpiercer i'm like i love snowpiercer it was great and then you came on and 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 you know didn't think it was the greatest movie ever no, and, you can say that. Uh, and, and you were constantly complaining about these dystopian future movies but hey, I can have you watch The Road if you want. It's the most dystopian future movie you're going to see and I guarantee you'll hate it but for those of us that enjoy that kind
0: of movie, it was great. Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. You don't have to make me watch that. Uh, okay. okay, so then you're there just is... You can watch in your own free time Chris. You yeah. don't have to watch for the podcast. I'm sure that I will. So, <laughs> they're, so they're in the Bahamas and then the the scene that really sort of jumped out to me um he, the scene where he's on the beach and he comes out of the ocean and he's all like buff and wearing this like skimpy little bathing suit. And I remember when the movie came out and that scene was a big part of the marketing of the film. I don't know, maybe to try and get more women to start liking Bond films. I don't know. But the thing for me is that James Bond is not about coming out of the ocean all buff in a tight bathing suit. James Bond is about being suave. He's about wearing a tuxedo. He enjoys an upscale lifestyle. It's not about being all ripped and stuff. And and maybe that's just a millennial thing. You would never see Roger Moore in a scene like that, nor would you want to, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Uh, But then it moves on to the scene where he's with the girl for the first time and she goes off camera. And so the implication is... And again, I'm thinking, this isn't James Bond. It's too edgy. It's too intense, the whole thing. My wife was watching it with me, and she made an interesting observation because she said, it's all action and no dialogue. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting comment because there is a lot of action in it, but there's not a lot of dialogue to really drive the story. And then they're on the the, the train, and the girl says, as charming as you are, Mr. Bond. And I, and I thought that it just felt so disconnected because he's not charming at all. You know, I, as an actor, Craig seems disconnected from the material. He seems disconnected from the film. Like, the thing for me is Bond should have a glint in his eye. Connery did. Moore certainly did. Brosnan and even Dalton did. But Craig doesn't. He, he seems like the wrong choice to play Bond. I, I kept thinking that he was miscast. Tell me I'm wrong.
1: Well, I, I mean, I, I again, I think a lot of people felt like you felt before they saw the movie, and then uh, it, he changed a lot of minds. And I think as as he continued to play Bond, uh, he, the fan base became a lot more accepting. And uh, I mean, I I enjoy him as Bond, but I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I, I don't necessarily feel that he's as suave and sophisticated as as some of his predecessors. But you got to remember the uh, the idea of the spy is is in a lot of cases he's supposed to be able to just blend in and and seem like You know he's not supposed to stand out now obviously if he's wearing a tuxedo and and he's in those situations i think you want him to stand out a little bit and he obviously he always uses his real name so um from that point of view uh he's obviously going to stand out if you know the bond is the secret agent but uh that was one of the things that I, i actually thought craig did better than some of these other previous bond actors is he's not so handsome that when you put him in a situation he stands out as hey here's a lot of people that are you know Laborers and blue-collar folks and down on their luck or 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 low income or from foreign countries where food is is harder to get and l- the lifestyle is, is harder. It's like you don't have this guy who walks through and is like, "Hi, I'm the upper class British royalty." Look at how great I am trying to blend in. You have Craig who can who I feel can do that better than than the previous bonds can. Um, but I, I absolutely uh, can see the point that you've got that um, you know he doesn't necessarily have that special something.
0: Uh, that the other Bonds have had. But yeah. but to me, I'm OK with that. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. It makes sense. The scene in the on the restaurant patio and he's talking to, I think his name was Mathis or someone like yes. that. And, yeah, yeah. and the Mathis guy says, look over my shoulder. That's the chief of police over there. And then all of a sudden the cops show up and arrest the chief. Well, yeah. I don't, what was happening there? I, I didn't understand it. I got a little bit confused.
1: So he was they were trying to bribe the, the chief of police. So Bond Mathis was at that time. Mathis was working for Bond. He he was obviously a local contact uh, that that was helping them. And they were trying to bribe the chief of police so that he would be on their side. So if they needed help with the police, they would have it. Or more importantly, they could have the police look the other way when they were doing all their spy stuff. And from what Mathis was saying, the chief of police was too expensive. And the the other uh, the the villain of the movie, La Chifra, had already bribed the chief of police. So they were like, we're kind of screwed, and he's like, "Well, then you know what we're going to do? We're going to frame the chief of police for some crime, and we've bribed the second in command so that when the chief gets arrested, then the guy who's second in command will become the new chief, and we already have him in our pocket. Oh, I got They'll it. Will cooperate. So they 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 set him up, and then later on in the movie when when Bond kills the 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 two thugs. And he says, uh, you know, get Mathis to come and hide these bodies. And later on, Mathis puts them in the trunk of some car. And he goes, just because they're dead, that doesn't mean they can't still be useful. And you get the impression that whoever the guy was that that owned the car where the trunks were in the body was some other guy. They were looking for an excuse to get off the street. So you, you really get the sense from just a few scenes that this, uh, this supporting character of Mathis is pretty resourceful, gotcha. given that yeah. he already made it clear that there was not going to be a lot of support. Um, uh, in this country. So they had to sort of make do with what they had.
0: Now, Bond movies have had some really memorable femme fatales with interesting names like Pussy Galore and Goldfinger. And I remember Xenia on a top from GoldenEye and Octopussy. And it was even spoofed in Austin Powers with a lot of vagina. Um, Yeah. But this movie was missing that.
1: Uh, There it was, and it wasn't. So when they were to check
0: into the hotel,
1: under their aliases and he just says uh, yeah you'll find uh, it's James Bond but you'll find it under I think Beach was the name they'd given him and um, and the, the woman gets all angry at him for blowing their cover and he tries to give her one of those traditional Bond names it was like Chesty something or other um, and she quickly sort of gives him a frown like I'm not using that that name and and so I, that was supposed to be the sort of the little gotcha. wink wink that yeah. we have matured a little bit and you're not going to get these crazy names that are clearly you know who are we kidding they're clearly degrading to the women who have them so you know we're, we're, we're a little more mature at this point where we are a little more aware of the fact that these names are not doing these women any favors and we're just going to call them by the names they have so in this case the character's name is Vesper we're just going to call her Vesper we're not going to call her you know be McBoob or something that's completely over the top and, and going to Have you dismissed her importance in the story simply because she has a ridiculous
0: name? (laughs) Hootie McBoob. (laughs) That's one of the Simpsons. Oh, is it? I was going to say, that's pretty funny. It used to be a real thing to be a Bond girl. You know, like sometimes it was the start of a career for an actress. I think Halle Berry or like a career defining role for someone like Ursula Andress or Maude Adams, you know, or Carol Bouquet. I didn't get the sense that that was – what was her name? Vesper? Is that what it was? Uh,
1: yeah. yeah. The character was Ves- Vesper Lynn. Yeah. I, Eva Green was – Yeah. You know.
0: I, di- I didn't get the sense of, of the whole Bond girl thing from her. Eva Green seemed to be a bit, a bit miscast for me too. The, the the other thing was uh, the the plot of Bond films are usually pretty straightforward. Like, it took me yes. a while for me to figure out what was going on here. Again, I'm a little bit dense. I like things simple, I guess. But there's basically it's a bad guy who finances terrorists and I think funds it by playing poker. That's pretty much the crux of the plot, I guess. Right.
1: Cleans the money. Certainly starts to clean the money, but through right. that way. And, and yeah. And then so in this case, he. Sees an opportunity to uh play the stock market short some stocks by planning to blow up an airplane and uh unfortunately james bond stops that so the short the the short of the 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 stocks when the money comes due he he has to use the the terrorist money to you know settle his account Mm -hmm. and now he's short 150 million dollars and of course the terrorist wants his money and he doesn't have it so got to go to the poker table to win it back
0: gotcha you
1: know one that's guy what They say you, they, that's what they say to him they're like you have to win this bond because if you don't we
0: will have directly financed terrorism right, right. um one actor that i really liked was jeffrey wright he has a small oh, role so F- felix lighter i think and he yes. was in westworld i didn't like that show either but i like jeffrey wright he's he seems very memorable i think he's a really good actor in my opinion i like him yeah so i will nice. say i will say this the second half of the movie picked up quite a bit and I actually quite enjoyed the second half at times. The whole thing where Bond gets Vesper to play along and kiss him, remember, and come on to him. Yeah. And I didn't really get what was going on there. Again, I'm a little slow on the uptake, apparently, but I didn't really understand what was happening there.
1: I think it was just he was trying to um, distract the, 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 the other players. Like, if you recall, there was a scene earlier in the movie when Bond was in the Bahamas and he went in uh, to play poker or I think they're playing Baccarat at, um, at the country club. And when the, the other woman came in and uh, she, she went to kiss her boyfriend and he's like, if that's for luck, you're two hours too late. And then Bond ends, up, Bond ends up winning all the money, including the guy's car. He's like, hey, my keys were on the table. I'm betting my Austin Martin. In that scene, I think Bond realizes that when a beautiful woman walks in the room, all the players look at her. And it, it, for at least a few of all well, the male players, anyway, um, look at her. And for at least a few seconds, they're distracted. And I think he's remembered that scene and realized the advantage that could give him. However, slightly that if she comes in and sort of does that same thing, he could potentially have an edge because he's already said you don't play the cards, you play the man. That's what they always say about poker. You're not playing the cards, you're playing the the, the person across the table from you. And so any advantage you can get to have them. Relax or tense up or reveal a tell or just be slightly off their game, show a facial expression is an advantage.
0: And so I, I think that was the the motivation for that. Very cool. It's, it's so good to have you uh, come on the, the podcast with me every week and explain these movies to me. Because otherwise I'd be, just be confused because I'm kind of slow. Um, I thought it was interesting. There was a scene with the Sony Ericsson phone that was uh, quite an advanced uh, Sony Ericsson phone that he had going on there for 2006. Had like the 3D map on it and everything. It was a little bit advanced for its time. That it was interesting. So there's the scene with the guy with the machete in the stairwell. And that was pretty intense. You know, yeah. I, I, again, I liked it, but it just it felt like it was actually an intense scene to watch. And it seemed a little bit too intense for a Bond movie. Again, just me. I was confused because, again, so many things I just don't understand. So she was really upset with that whole killing the guys in the stairwell and leaving the bodies thing, right? So he goes and finds her in the shower and she's sitting down and she's crying and he sits down with her. And then he starts sucking her fingers. Like, what, what the hell? I don't understand. Again, I'm like, I don't know what's going on in this movie.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that part. But I mean, the the, the sense I got was that uh, this was the first time she had seen this kind of violence up close. So it was it was traumatic as it would be for any normal person. Mm-hmm. Like she's an accountant. She's not a field agent. And so it was traumatizing. So I can understand that she. uh You know literally wanted to wash the blood off herself and and had just you know the fact that she's still dressed she must have just gone back to the room and just beelined it right for the shower it's like i need to wash this dirty off myself Mm -hmm. uh and and, you know she she had a she had a breakdown as any Mm -hmm. normal person would and then when bond comes in he sees her there and he tries to console her the the finger thing i don't know but uh until that point i'm on board
0: okay uh so what was the deal with the whole weeping blood thing cuz it's uh,
1: just a affectation of the character right how do you think yeah. your memorable how do you make your villain memorable and he even says at one point that it's just a misalignment of the tear duct or something like he's obviously got a scar going through his face and his right. eye so you get a sense that it was when they patched him up something didn't get patched up correctly and
0: cuz bond says to him at one point he goes no, like cuz the guy says to him oh you changed your shirt i hope i didn't make you perspire or something and then bond was like oh you'll know i'm in trouble when i weep blood
1: yeah, he's uh-huh. just making fun of him. Yeah.
0: Uh, but I mean, I didn't realize that he had even blooded come out at that point. I don't know. So anyway, so then they poison him and that's really intense. And then he, you know, he comes back from all that. And then there's the scene where they capture Bond after he wins and they tie yes. him, they tie him naked to the chair. And yeah, it, that was again, unexpected. It, it seems like it's just done in order to show off how buff Daniel Craig is. Like the bad guy even says to him, boy, you've really taken good care of your body. Like, it, yeah. it, just, it seems disconnected from the James Bond formula. You would never see Roger Moore tied naked to a chair. Neither, neither would you want to, for that matter. But <laughs> they, like you mentioned a really interesting point, Like because you said they try to make him complicated because he's like guarded. I think she says that to him and she yeah. says, oh, you've got your armor on, you know, yeah. and yeah. that's all fine and good, but it's not James Bond. James Bond is suave and debonair. He, it's not a character study. It's James Bond. We know who he is. I don't think – you don't need to try and redefine him. I, I, I know no, that's the I, thing. I disagree though. I, I think
1: you do. I think for for a character like Bond who is – to keep this franchise going, the James Bond that you have in the 1960s can't be the same as the James Bond you have in 2006. It's not going to work. Now, the broad strokes will work as we've seen. They're like I mean the franchise has gone on 25 movies or more. But I think that you do need to – make changes along the way so that you have a bond for each generation and a lot of what you're saying harkens back to sort of the original concept of bond which is fine and that's certainly more in keeping with the uh, creation of bond by ian fleming given his background and and what he brought to that character when he created him but even think of of other characters that have survived the test of time i'm going to go to batman because i i love batman comics Batman from the 60s is different than Batman from the 70s, from the 80s, from the 90s, from today. It would be like us saying, well, why doesn't Batman dance? And why doesn't Robin say, you know, holy whatever Batman? Because that's what Batman was in the 60s. Well, that worked in the 60s, but that wouldn't work today. Today's audience wouldn't pay good money to see that. And I think with Bond, you have a similar thing. Bond has certain uh, appeal in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s based on his original concept and i think that to get a younger audience which you want you want to get your younger uh audience on board today now you want them to pay good money to see bond in the theater you want them to buy the bond video game you want them to get all the merch because that's how that's how this this media works now that's how movies are for a movie to be successful it needs to have sequels it needs to have spin-offs it needs to have video games it needs to have other media interaction and so a lot of the things that that you're saying you don't like i think are needed in order to appeal to the audience of today and yeah it's different than the original concept of what bond was but i think bond like any other character that has stood the test of time needs to change now we may not agree with some of the changes that are happening but i think there needs to be some change so like you said he's he's guarded he's angsty he's 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 buff he's like these are changes that i think are necessary and we'll look at mission impossible which i think is probably your closest competitor kind of movie like you would never have a bond movie and a mission impossible movie debuting on the same day that would be silly they're they're reaching for the same audience and when you look at the mission impossible franchise it has all of these things that you're saying you're not really liking about this new james bond and but but it's demonstrated success people want to see in the mission possible franchise you've got tom cruise with his shirt off and he's buff and you've got uh henry cavill with his shirt off and he's buff and it's you know they've got these these backstories that are complicated and they have problems and and i think that's just the way stories are told today if you want to reach today's Movie-going audience, and by movie-going audience, I mean we're talking the eighteen to thirty-five year old demographic that has a lot of disposable income and is is driving the the, the dollars. You need to appeal to them, and you and I are out of, out of that demographic, so I can see why this may not appeal to you as much. But I think that our criticism
0: needs to be. Framed into that context No you make great points all around and how I like your uh, your allegory to Batman and how it's changed I I understand All that but this is supposed to be an origin Story right because I don't know So then it should be more true You think of it more as as like a reboot Than an origin
1: story like to me origin story Is you don't know anything about This character and you're learning it as You watch it Uh, with James Bond I think Even young James Bond audience You sort of know coming in he's 007 he's got a license to kill he's a super spy he's british intelligence he might have some gadgets and that kind of thing like you sort of know a little bit about this coming in so it's not the how did they recruit him into the secret service it's you know how did he what was his first mission once he was promoted like that that's essentially what this is so yes in a way it's an origin story but i I like to think of it more as a reboot than an origin because he's got like i think casino royale was like the 20th bond movie so you really have to think of it more as a reboot than uh, than an origin story. But yeah, I think, both, I think both terms have merit.
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're right, because the origin story doesn't quite fit it, because he says at one point to her, he goes, when you've done this as long as I have, you need to stop. And he says he's going to quit and just travel the world with her. Right. So he's obviously been doing it for a while. It's not an origin. But then um, so then the the movie kind of takes a turn because you realize that she's involved with the bad guys and she takes the money. And there's that scene in the warehouse, the old building, you know, where there's the water in the in the in the bottom.
1: Oh, Venice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he starts shooting these inflatable tubes in the water. And that scene, I realize like his Walther PPK has like unlimited bullets. Because at one point he's up against these guys with machine guns and he doesn't even have to reload or replace the magazine or anything. He just keeps going. And then then he shoots a guy in the eye with a nail gun. And again, I'm like, it's just too intense for a James Bond movie for me. And then it really capped it when he says to M his reaction about Vesper dying was he says the bitch is dead.
1: And so, again, so that, it,
0: that's not something James Bond would say. It's just not.
1: It just doesn't. It, it actually is. So that is a direct line from the Casino Royale novel that Ian Fleming wrote. Wow. I was because re- I was reading that. That was a complaint other people had was this doesn't seem in keeping with with the character and the the original. So this is one of the the few Bond movies of late where. The material is based on a book that Ian Fleming wrote. He wrote a novel called Casino Royale Mm -hmm. featuring James Bond. And the broad strokes of this story, the very broad strokes, are are paralleled from that original novel. And quite a bit of the dialogue, uh, although you said there wasn't nearly as much dialogue as you might have liked, was drawn line for line, word for word from the book. That is a word for word, line for line quote from the book and apparently that is the last line of the book because the the sequencing of events is told in a slightly different order in the movie than it was in the book and apparently that's the last line of the book and it's supposed to indicate like james bond can can have these interactions with other people and other women and and can pretend to have these feelings but at that point he literally has decided i am forever closing myself off i'm not going to fall in love in order for me to be a good spy i have to be detached and so that by using that term, by using those words, that's the way the author has indicated, like, that's it. Bond has realized if I if I let myself fall in love, that's a vulnerability. Boom. Done.
0: So, yeah, I get it. Uh, this movie was really long. Uh, like yes. I said, I did enjoy the second half much more than the first half, but I still found myself wondering numerous times, like, when is this going to end? Like, it just felt like it would just kept going. I'm like, when is this movie going to be over? Like, it just it felt too long. But maybe that's just me. So when I I first saw this, as
1: I think a lot of people did, I had no idea what the runtime was. I figured about two hours, which is is typical for a Bond movie. And um, I assumed after they won the poker game that there was maybe like 10 minutes left in the movie. There might be like a climactic shootout or something, and then that would be it. And then the movie went on for like another half an hour. And by not knowing exactly how long it was – now I'm sort of a little more on the edge of my seat, like, well, where is this going? Like, what are we getting to? Where is this building to? And I almost I almost said to you before, I as you watch this, was when you watch it, don't look at the runtime, because, you know, if you, if you know, oh, there's 35 more minutes left, when stuff happens, you're going to be like, well, clearly this isn't the climax of the movie. And I felt the first time I saw it, I, I got a little tricked by that, not knowing the runtime sort of. Uh, made me make certain assumptions about where the story was going that turned out to be incorrect and and i think helped my enjoyment of the movie i'm like oh look hey there's more more to do what's going on oh she's betraying him now there's some stuff going to happen um but yeah i believe this one is the longest movie in the
0: bond franchise to date yeah it was really long and like you know and if it wasn't for you nominating this i never would have seen it so thank you for that but if it wasn't for you nominating any other James Bond movies that Daniel Craig's in, I, I would I have no desire to see any of them. That's the only thing that I kind of took away. Uh, what do you rate the movie out of 10? Give it an eight. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. I give it maybe a six and a half, something like well, that. From you Chris, know? that's
1: pretty good. That's pretty Chris. good, you know. Uh, yeah. So, uh,
0: I thank you for allowing me a chance to see a different James Bond, that's for sure. Because you know, me, I'm just stuck in the past, I just like what I like. It is what so. It is.
1: So, let me ask you this yep. so, um one thing that you may not realize is that the um this new bond franchise the first three movies with daniel craig are connected in the sense that previous bond movies haven't really connected like when roger moore was bond each movie was very clearly a standalone movie this this casino royale is certainly a standalone movie but the next one quantum of solace picks up literally with the same scene the same day, like an hour later from where this one ended, the next movie picks up. So cool. at the at the end of Casino Royale where he shows up with the gun and he shoots the guys in the legs, at the beginning of the next movie, that guy's been tied up onto a chair, his legs are still bleeding, and Bond starts interrogating him, and the story just picks up right from there. Oh, that's cool. And and so the next couple of movies, they connect in that way that they continue and build on what you already know uh, in order to give you a more Uh, Complicated story And and yeah Quantum of Solace Does stand on its own To a certain extent Because they do some recapping But if you watch them In order In sequence As they've been released Which I mean Now that I've watched Casino Royale This week I'm going to go back And and watch the other ones Probably in this coming week You definitely have it Build on that uh, Framework Which I think uh, helped it I think it helped People who, who enjoyed it Or were maybe on the fence But oh, I don't know I don't know And then they would watch The next one and go oh my god This is just keeps picking right up you, you have that that Additional payoff So I know you're not uh, uh, You know Jumping up and down To watch the next Bond movie But if, if you ever do watch Quantum of Solace I think you just Want to keep in mind Like where does that movie start
0: Literally right at the end Of this one so, There you go Okay Well on that note Let's have some Fun with Caveman <laughs> Okay, so you nominated this James Bond movie, and I told you numerous times that I didn't like Dale Craig as James Bond, but of course, he's just one of many actors that's played the role, so here's the deal. I'm going to give you the title of a James Bond film. You name the actor who played Bond in the movie. Super easy, right? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to do pretty well on I think you'll do well. Okay, A View to a Kill. Roger Moore. That's correct. Never Say Never Again. Uh, that was Sean Connery. Correct. The Living Daylights.
1: That was the Living Daylights. Timothy Dalton.
0: Correct. Die Another Day.
1: Uh, oh, we just talked about that. That was uh, Pierce Brosnan. Correct. Goldfinger. Goldfinger was Sean Connery. It was. Okay. Whew.
0: License to kill.
1: Uh, license to Kill. Oh, License to Kill. Was it Roger Moore? No, it was Timothy Dalton. Oh, it was Dalton. Okay, I wasn't sure. I
0: was... The Spy Who Loved Me. The Spy Who Loved Me was Roger Moore. Correct. You Only Lived Twice.
1: That was, uh, that was
0: Sean Connery. Correct. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, that was uh that was one with the other guy, George Lazenby. That's correct. And Casino Royale, the original from sixty-seven. Oh. Uh who played Bond? Was Peter Sellers Bond? <laughs> No, I'm sorry. It was David Niven. Peter Sellers played the bad guy. The guy that he was playing, the, oh. the guy with the bleeding eye there. Apparently. Never saw it. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, so you did pretty good. You got uh, eight out of 10 and I right. I missed two. Yeah. yeah. Not bad. I'm impressed. Nice. nice. I thought
1: you were going to ask me about the theme songs. I was no. like, oh boy, this could be rough. No, no.
0: So. I, yeah, I kept it nice and simple. Okay. So uh, time now for me to nominate a, a film for our next podcast. Is, is it
1: a dystopian future dark future movie Chris and not
0: after the apocalypse or Zev zombies or superheroes not even close not the last movie I know this is as far from that as you can get the last movie I had you watch and review with me was meatballs from uh, 1979 Bill Murray's first film and I'm staying on track with my love of both Jetix movies as well as my love of Bill Murray we're gonna fast forward three years from 79 to 81 and you I'm gonna have you watch and then come back on the next episode and review with me a personal favorite of mine just asked my university roommates who i made watch this movie a zillion times with me and it's the 1981 comedy classic stripes that's the fact yeah starring bill murray and the late great harold ramus man i loved that guy so we're gonna watch stripes and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about one of bill murray's best movies which is certainly one of his funniest movies the next time we get together you up for the challenge I am indeed. It's going to be awesome. So on that note, I will uh, wrap things up. And again, you can find uh, Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me on Twitter at dot PopGoesYourWorld.com is our website. This is Chris McBrien. For Derek Myers. saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.